Amen. Good morning, church. <clears throat> I'm Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're so glad y'all are here. Uh, there's going to be some movement here on the stage in a second. Just, just ignore it. Just, it'll be there. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it all wraps into what we're going to be doing here in a second. Uh, let, me, let me do this. Uh, Bruce kind of set us up last week with this idea, and I'm going to continue it. You know, we've been working on things as a church, as a body, as a family for about almost seven months now. We started in the book of Acts where we talked about moving the kingdom forward uh, as we followed that story and the accounts of history there. You're going, oh, Felport, huh? Uh, uh, <laughs> um, then we moved into this, this idea as a church of locking arms together. We spent a month talking about who we are and who God says we are and what that means moving forward. And then over this last month, we talked about moving into the areas around us, our neighborhoods, our jobs, our peer groups, our families, being Jesus there. And so Bruce left us with this idea, and and not to be in danger of uh, going against what he said, we're, we're not going to the next series. We're not going to just talk about something different. We're going to continue. We're going to take the logical next step from all the things that we have been working on as a body. What does it look like now to take all that we've heard and move? You see, we could hear these things, these calls that have been put upon us over these last few months and, and see them as risky and, and scary. And, and the normal thing to do is to run for the hills, right? Wrong. <laughs> it is not. For us, as we move forward, it's, it's to hear that call and to respond. So today, we're going to move into that. And we're going to do it from a story, from a narrative, from an account of history that I'm sure all of us are familiar with. So let me pray for us. Father God, we come before you and we lift this up. Lord, I'm so thankful for the worship. So thankful to come into your presence in communion. And now, Lord, we pray that we would just hear your words breathed on us through scripture. Lord, give me the right words to say and allow us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I say Jonah and the blank, what do you, Jonah and the? Oh, I heard some whales. Anybody do fish? Anybody say fish? Oh, I see the hands. It's a a great fish. And we're going to hit on that in a second. Okay, translations over time have changed that here and there. Our only real picture of something that could swallow a man is a whale because we all watched Pinocchio or read Moby Dick. It's this account of Jonah is where we're going next. We're going to move into this place of talking about what it means to take that story that's ingrained in us, the story that may have been a felt board or flannel graph. I learned, I didn't grow up in church. I can tell you every wrestler, professional wrestler from the 80s. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, never, I didn't see this until I started working in church. Um, <clears throat> But that has been ingrained in us. You know, we, we, have, we have taken the Jonah story, and, and in some ways, you know, we have, we have probably made it gentler. So when I come to the felt board, I recognize 
that the felt board has probably planted tons of seeds. So don't, don't think I'm bashing it, but oftentimes when I come to the felt board, it's because we have probably perpetuated things that have stuck with us even into adulthood that may not be the fullest of stories. And I understand why, you know, so here, here we have our felt board, and, and I've learned this over time in church that the felt board basket or Tupperware just has a bunch of stuff in it and you just kind of have to make do. You know, Joseph is a shepherd plus, you know, Moses plus, if you don't have a Pharaoh, he ends up being Pharaoh. Um, uh, So let's let's see here. So uh, we have Jonah. Uh, I got a couple shepherds here. Um, You know, I'm going to put this one up here. This is just an angry king. It just happens to be here. That's foreshadowing. We're going to talk about that one later. Um, This one looks like he's the least happy shepherd because they all have smiles. So there's Jonah. Okay. Got his bald spot going on there. Pretty cool. He's over there on the land. He has been called to do something, right? You know, God came to him. This is a story we were taught. Now, here's the hard part. Um, I don't have an old man with gray beard. That's oftentimes who we use. I've got a baby Jesus. That could be God. It, it could also be Moses. I don't know. Here, let's, let's use the burning bush. Here's a representation. Wrong story. Completely wrong story, but I don't have a God back here. So there's our God. So we're told that Jonah hears from God, and then he goes and does something, okay? His response to that is, no, I'm not going to go and do this. Uh, And here's where the felt board story changes. Uh, So I've got some fish here. That one's too small. That one's too carnivorous. That one's too happy. Here we go. So we're told that he hears this call, he disobeys, he ends up in the belly of a fish. And this is probably where the fault board has probably sanitized this story a little bit. You see, we're going to get into the grit of Jonah. Um, Because I think we might have sugarcoated it over time. This this idea that... that, um, Jonah has kind of this almost feels like a happy ending, but listen to me. We, we probably skipped over the fact that Jonah is the most diso, probably one of the most disobedient men, call him a follower of God, in the Bible. So disobedient. And, and, and we probably sanitize the fact that he goes, so the angry king up there in the corner represents Nineveh. He pro- the Assyrians were the most brutal, evil people of their time. Maybe in history, the things that they did to the people they conquered were horrible. And by sanitizing those two things, we might have lost some of what the scripture is really trying to get across to us. Let me tell you that this way. So when I was a younger man, Charlene and I, you know, we had our first house. Uh, Ariana had just been born. Uh, You get your first set of Christmas ornaments, you know, that someone's well-intentioned and goes, oh, here's a gift. And, and so we got the typical, because, you know, we worked in church, we were working with Young Life at the time, here's the typical Christian ornament set. And one of the ornaments was of David and the scene of David and Goliath. And what it was, was David was triumphant with his sword, standing on the chest of Goliath. The only thing that was missing in this depiction was the cartoony birds that fly around your head when you're knocked out in Looney Tunes. It had sanitized the ornament. So I told Charlene, I said, the better depiction would be to me take this ornament to my shop, take a bandsaw to, to Goliath, 
glue Goliath's head to David's hand and then put that up. Now, some of you are looking at me just like my wife did. She's like, we can't do that. But it's true, right? That's what happened in scripture. And, and we have a tendency to soften things. And I get it. I understand we, why we do it, especially for our kids. That idea of a happy fish saves Jonah, puts him back on dry ground, and he cheerfully tells people about God. That's a better depiction, a better story than, than this man who absolutely turns his back on God. He puts other people in a place where they have to murder someone instead of trying to share what he's, the story he's been told to give. That, that this person sits in the digestive juices of a great sea creature and then is vomited back up on the ground to walk hundreds of miles to a people he hates and who hates him. That, that doesn't play well in a VeggieTales episode. <laughs> so today we're going to start the journey for the next four weeks through Jonah. And we're going to dig a little deeper. We're going to think about this idea of God's character and sovereignty. We're going to look at the theme of going overboard in things, taking things to the nth degree. So buckle up. Here we go. Let's get a, view, a quick overview of Jonah. You know I couldn't be up here and starting a book without some charts and timelines. So here we go. Uh, so where are we? We are about the 8th century BC. So the first slide that's going to go up here is of a big, I, I know you can't read it. Don't even try. Don't, don't. This is a depiction of world history according to scripture. So at 12 o'clock, it goes around at the beginning and comes back around here to modern time. You can actually get this. This comes in a big four-foot poster, and it's fantastic. Okay? I love it. Uh, but again, you can't see anything. So I'm going to call out where we're at. The next slide's going to show us. Again, it's going to be hard to read. But I'm going to call out from the 8th century BC. And Jonah's um, circled there. He's beside Elijah and Amos. You can see the yellow. Those are some of the kings. And what's happening during this time in 8th century BC is that the Hebrew people are split up into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. And Assyria, which is modern-day uh, Baghdad, that area, part of Iran, it, it all became that section of the world. Um, this is the power that is conquering everyone. The Assyrians are gobbling up everything. And for the Hebrew people in the future, they'll gobble up everything that's been given to them by God, plus their freedom. They'll be taken into captivity. And so this is where we find ourselves. Jeroboam II is the king of Israel. He's in charge, and he's a bad dude. And Jonah is his prophet. We learn this in 2 Kings chapter 14. It'll be up on the screen. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became, began his reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So Jeroboam's dad was just as evil as Jeroboam the second is. <clears throat> he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he had made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord. The God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah. So here's where we meet Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from gath -Hephar. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter. 
for there was none left bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Joash. So this is where we at. We, we learn that Jeroboam's a king. We, we learn that the, Israel's in a really bad spot, that Jeroboam is really bad. And we could do a whole ser- sermon series on just the bad kings of Israel and Judah. Suffice it to say, he, he was top of that list. This is where we meet Jonah, and we understand Jonah to be this prophet. Okay, Jonah delivers what, what we hear the, in this account is the good news that Israel's not going to get blotted out. They're not going to get destroyed. Now, side note, later on, Amos, the other prophet, overturns that. God tells him, overturn that. Because we know that Israel sooner or later goes into captivity. Now, keep that in the back of your mind as we learn a little bit about who Jonah is. That's, that's in his head. This is, this is what's happened to Jonah. Now, I'm not trying to rationalize bad behavior, but it may be something. So just keep that as we move forward. So we pick up back in Jonah's story in his book now. So we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from the CSB. It's going to be up on the screen that way as well. <clears throat> and we're going to read this whole section. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind under the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe this God will consider us, and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Casting lots, so it could be short straw, it could be dice. That's a pagan way of kind of figuring things out. It was used in other places in the Bible among God's people as well. Just wanted to explain that real quick. And by doing that, totally lost my space. There we go. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I am Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were seized by great fear and said to him, What is this you have done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, this is Jonah's Lord. Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. 
the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So there we go. We, th- this is really probably for most of us the story that we've heard about Jonah, and, and probably that's it. You know, we, we may have stopped there. We may have gone, oh, and by the way, he went to Nineveh, <laughs> okay, after he came out of the fish. But there's so much more here. I mean, talk about going overboard. That is, that is one of our main themes through this. Talk about going overboard, figuratively and literally. And it's not just Jonah who goes overboard. It was Jonah, the sailors, and especially God who goes overboard. And I want to build off of that. You see, throughout this first chapter, there's a word that's repeated many times to get the point across. And that word in English is great or exceedingly. Okay? Great or exceedingly. In Hebrew, the word was gadol. And I would probably go this next step and say that gadol was used directly, and it was probably implied throughout this entire chapter too. You see, let's break it down a little bit, just in that first couple verses, in verse two. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh. So there's Gadol, and that could have meant a lot of different things, but it was probably the biggest city in civilization as they knew it at that time. And preach against it because their evil has come up before me, which was probably a pretty big evil. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish and then eventually made that route. This word is used throughout the whole scripture, but I would even venture to say that God meant it in a lot of different ways. Surely by the command he gave to Jonah, because I bet no God command comes in as a small command. They're all big. They all matter. I mean, we heard this last week when Bruce taught out of John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's a big deal. That's gadol. That's a, that's a huge thing. Because here's how it works. When God commands, it'll be up on the screen. When God commands, we follow, we love. It's simple math, but it's huge. No commandment from the Lord of the universe is small. But here's what happens. Jonah He responds in kind. Big command, going to a big city, this idea of Gadol, and then Jonah goes overboard in his disobedience. He goes overboard first in his disobedience by fleeing. He goes big in his fleeing. Look at this map. So we have a map up here, and it's tiny again, but I'm doing that on purpose so you can understand the scope here. All the way over here to the right, On the very bottom, that word is Joppa. That is where Jonah is at, right there on the coast of Israel. That is where Jonah is at when he decides, I'm fleeing. Now, lots of theologians have talked about Tarshish. No one truly knows where Tarshish is. There there isn't a lot of history. Some believe it could have been on the island of Crete, which is one of the islands there in the Mediterranean. Many believe it's all the way over here on the coast of Spain. That's why I wanted that big map up there. I wanted you to get the scope. Because even though they may not agree exactly where it is, all of them agree on this. The use of the word Tarshish, going to that place, for that place, those people, in context, meant you were going as far away as you could possibly go. 
Jonah was going overboard in his fleeing. Now, I want to say this, and, and I could put tons of points up here about this idea of Gadol. Another point could be made in this one moment of Jonah's Gadol, great ignorance. Come on, dude, you can't get out of the presence of the Lord. He created all that. This is where Jonah is falling flat on his face because he's being so disobedient. I felt bad for Jonah, so I didn't want to put up another point against him. So, but this is where we're at. Great commandment. And now Jonah in this great fleeing. And it goes on in verse 4. But the Lord threw a great wind, that Gadol word is used again, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. You see, this idea of going overboard in Jonah happens now with God going overboard. He goes overboard to get Jonah's in our attention. That's the sort of God we follow. He's going to get our attention. He brought a great wind, a great storm. God responds to Jonah's incredible disobedience and ignorance with an even greater attention grabber. How many times have you maybe been there? How many times have you found yourself going, gosh, I, 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 I don't know why this is happening, and then you realize, oh, God called me to something. He wants me to do something. And sometimes these, these attention grabbers may be gentle. Sometimes they may be bigger. Sometimes they may be subtle. Sometimes they may slap you up across the face. But here's the deal. When God calls us, he wants to continue to call us. He wants us to hear and listen and obey. And for Jonah, he went all out. He didn't mess around. And here's what happened. It didn't just affect Jonah. You see, now the sailors are here. These are pagan sailors. They've got their own gods. And they are so freaked out. They're throwing things overboard. Their livelihood, they're throwing it overboard. This attention grabber of God is now splashing up, literally and figuratively, on these sailors on these innocent bystanders. And where is Jonah? Not rhetorical. Where is Jonah? Asleep. <laughs> Out cold. Now, I want to side note here this. The correlation of Jonah with the New Testament is used a lot. Jesus uses it a lot. It's a compare and contrast. Here's an example. So we've, many of us have heard that story of Jesus. While the storm is raging around the disciples, he's asleep in the front of the boat. There's a comparison here. Jonah is completely out of control and not delivering the truth he was called to while the storm is raging around him. Jesus in Matthew 8, in Matthew 8 is asleep during a storm on mission to deliver the truth and is completely in control. We go further into this whole belly of the fish. Jesus even mentions this. Jonah is in the belly of the fish in complete hopelessness Jesus is in the belly of the earth for three days after conquering sin in victory. This compare and contrast, when you follow and are obeying the Lord, here's one, and when you don't, here's the other. Jesus wants us to see that. That's why I think Jonah's in here. I think why he's so important. Again, Jonah's asleep, captain is frantic. He needs us to fix the problem. He knows this sleeping man probably has a God to pray to. And what happens? Jonah wakes up after the sailors 
find him out, too, by playing non-kosher dice. Find out Jonah's the problem, and when they realize it, their response is very appropriate. It should have been the response that Jonah had, but didn't. Should have been the response Jonah had earlier, should be happening now, and he skips it. They're overcome by what's going on around them. They had, in verse 10 of Jonah 1, it says a good doll fear. They had a great fear. It overcame them. This is what Jonah should have done before he ran. And then Jonah takes the next step because these guys are responding the way Jonah should have done. And then Jonah takes it the next step figuratively, literally, again. And he says, throw me overboard. He's asking a group of people, hey, could you commit murder so I don't have to do this? One, I'm not going to say yes to the Lord. And two, I'm not going to kill myself. He is so disobedient, so lost in himself, that he's asking people to do something horrible, which they are reluctant to do. This is where Jonah goes overboard and doubles down. I'm not going to be obedient. I'm not going to take responsibility. You guys throw me overboard. I'm the problem, but I'm still, I'm not going to listen. He's so unwilling to do this that he's going to choose death. He's so unwilling to go talk to the people he hates that he does something horrible and asks someone to do something horrible for him. Now at this moment, it must be asked, if Jonah had said to the sailors, turn this ship to shore, I must heed the call of my God and go to the people of Nineveh, would God have calmed the storm? We'll never know. We do know that a group of unbelievers called out to a God they had not worshipped before for forgiveness for what they were about to do. And then when they did it and the storm calmed, it changed them. Verse 16 says it this way, that after the storm stopped, they were overcame, overcome by great, gadol, fear again. Now this fear is the fear that we usually say the fear of the Lord, something that actually is referred to in a positive way throughout Scripture. Their fear, their gadol fear, led to them sacrificing and making vows to a God they had not worshipped before. Their, their lives had been changed. They were transformed. They were being led by the Lord now. Because this is what happens with commitment. The true follower goes overboard in it. The true follower goes overboard in commitment. Jonah was not at that place. These new followers of the Lord were all in. They were willing, because the Lord hadn't destroyed them, to make sacrifices and make vows. And think about that. They had already thrown so much overboard. I know for me, I, 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 I can say, God, was that enough for the sacrifice? No, no. They didn't even ask. They said, no, there's more. We're going to make sacrifices and we're going to make vows. Because a true follower goes overboard in commitment. And so, so, side note, another one. This is one of the themes through Jonah. One of the themes through Jonah is that people that we see as unworthy or the world sees unworthy, that God, God sees them with great worth, probably good dull worth. That's going to be a theme when we start talking more about the people of Nineveh. God sees beyond that stuff. 
He sees great worth in people, even those who don't follow him. And this is the response Jonah should have had. This is where we meet the felt board again. Jonah in the fish. That feels right. For you in the back, it's funnier up here. It's so small back there. Now hear me on this. I know that this is scripture and it's God-breathed, and I know the fish is important because it's in scripture and God put it there and God made this happen, but I don't know that it had to be a fish. I don't know that the fish is so important as much as what's important is that God chose to put, and I could have made another point against Jonah, God put Jonah in a gadol, a great time out. <clears throat> it could have been a deserted island. It could have been the desert. Any place where he has the opportunity in this journey to come face to face with God again. And this is what God chose. It's amazing. It's, it goes against common sense. He appointed to Jonah a great fish to swallow him. Is it Gadol? Oh yeah. It's become part of cultural references for thousands of years. It was a big thing. But we'll see through the rest of Jonah that this is just one more stop on his journey. There are other Gadol timeouts for Jonah. (laughs) Times for him to come right up and either respond positively or negatively to the Lord. That's foreshadowing, so get ready. So the question has to be asked of us. How are you doing with your call? Now you may be sitting there going, Sean, I don't have a call. Then you haven't been listening for six months. Everyone in this room has a call. Everyone. If you don't know Jesus, we've been talking about him calling you. I... I can't say it even more clearly, but God, through Christ, is calling you to himself. He's saying, I've got something better. I will take care of the emptiness in your heart. I will take care of the needs that you have. I will help you start to mend the brokenness. Come to me. Surrender to me. I've got something. That's the call for those of you who don't know Jesus. For the rest of us, and especially for the rest of us. We have been talking about it for months. Everyone in this room has a call. We've talked about it as the greatest commandment in the Great Commission. We are called to be a people who will be discipled and will go and make disciples. Every one of you. And again, if if you're thinking, no, I haven't been called to that, then, then again, you probably haven't been listening, and you are called to that. Now, the, the question is, are you running? Are you looking for your Tarshish? Well, let me give you a clue, just like Jonah should have known. You ain't going to get away from it. You can't hide from God. Are you in a storm right now because you have been disobedient? And you're like, what is going on? It may be gentle. It may be a little bigger. I have to say this. A walk with Christ is not always promised to be easy, okay? Okay. When we look at our lives, we're a blip on an eternal timeline, okay? This is just a stop here, folks, right here, here, this world that we live in. 
When you start thinking eternally, and you start thinking beyond yourself and your time on this earth, the promise is huge. The rewards are great. Probably good doll. But if you are finding yourself in a storm that you can't explain, maybe you should look at your call. Some of you may be even a gigantic Godal timeout. It may not look like the belly of a fish, but you may be right now going, oh my goodness, I just need to get my face towards God and realize where I'm at and why I'm here. We're going to hear Jonah's response over the next couple of weeks. But each of us have to ask that. Because here's the deal. If you are in that place where you're in the storm, God wants to shake you awake. If you are in a place where you are in the belly of a fish, God wants to open it up and put you back on dry land. If you are at a place where the storm is happening, he is calling you to say, hey, turn the ship. Turn the ship towards dry land and hear my call, heed my call. Show me you love me by commanding, by obeying my commands. We're all in that place. Because again, turning the ship is the best route. Getting on, car, on course with his call will bring eternal rewards and ultimately serve those around you. That's where we're being moved to, folks. That's, that's our hope. That's my hope for freshwater, to be known as those people. People who, who may occasionally go, no, I don't want to do that. But then before the storms go, they're like, no, I got to. I'd much rather have, yes, Lord, let's do this. But I recognize sometimes we hit bumps. <laughs> but I don't want us to be known as a people that are in storms all the time or in the belly of the fish. I want us to be known as a people who people look at and go, they are following something bigger than anything I understand. In a second, we're going to actually talk about someone who is hearing that call. Someone who is, is hearing things from God and has said yes, even when things have changed a little bit. Even when things weren't turning out necessarily where they thought they were going to go. But they're hearing the call to a people, a great people. And so what I want to do is I want to invite um, Jake and Peyton up here to share a little of that with you.